I am truly humbled and honored to be here with you this morning. Um, we love it here. And just for clarification, it was a year and a half ago, not two and a half years ago. So it's okay. <laughs> Pastors don't do math. Um, so, but like Phil said earlier, we are truly honored that you would be here uh, this Sunday morning here with us. And there's a lot of great churches in our area, and we want to celebrate that. But we are honored that you are here. And we, uh, we definitely are so thankful for that. Let me tell you a story. In New York City, there was a businessman by the name of Jeremiah Lampfear. Now, Jeremiah Lampfear was burdened and broken over the condition of his city. And so he felt like God was calling him to start a prayer meeting. But a specific prayer meeting, one that was going to meet on Wednesdays, at noon, from noon to one, for all the business people in the area to take their lunch and to go and pray. So being all excited about it, he made flyers, passed them all around, uh, woke up September the uh, 20, uh, sorry, 23rd, and just excited, excited to see what God was going to do. It opens the old Dutch church on Fulton Street in New York, and he gets, sits there, and the clock hits 12. And no one shows up. And it would be understandable if he just said, all right, well, that was, that was a good, good try. Maybe I just didn't hear right from God. But instead, he just got on his knees and he prayed. And then 1230 rolled around and one person joined him. And by the end of that hour, there were six people that came to that prayer meeting. Still, undeterred, Many of us probably would have just given up by then. Those are not the numbers we were looking for. But next Wednesday, he held the meeting at the same time, and 20 people showed up. The next Wednesday after that, 40 people showed up. Within six months, there was 10,000 business people meeting daily from 12 to 1 to pray. But this wasn't just happening in New York. It was all over the country. There was 600 people, or 6,000 people meeting in Pittsburgh, 2,000 in Chicago, 4,000 in Philadelphia. There were, being prayer, there were prayer meetings being held in Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Cincinnati, New Orleans, and Mobile, Alabama. So by May of the following year, that's eight months after the prayer meeting had started, 50,000 people in New York City came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In just 15 months after this prayer meeting started, it was documented that a million people gave their lives to the Lord. The interesting thing about that statistic is that there was only three, there was only 30 million people in the United States at that time, and a million had given their lives to the Lord. This period in our history is called the Third Great Awakening. And it is the last documented great move of God in our country. And it happened 160 years ago. 160 years ago was the last time that our country experienced the power of prayer in such a magnitude that swept our nation. I don't know if you're like me or not, but 
I hunger to see God move like that. I want to see God move like that in our nation. I want to see God move like that in my family. I want to see God move like that in our community. I want it to be said that, yeah, you can come to Elevation Church. They've got some awesome worship music like we just heard. They've got some okay preachers, you know. But if you want to meet God, come to Elevation. See, our, our desire as a church is this. It's simple. It's real people would encounter real hope, experience real change, and that would ignite revival. And we, we believe that it begins with men and women of God who are on their knees begging for God to open up the heavens and come down. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just, I ask right now that you would be seen as amazing. You would be seen as high and lifted up and Father, I just need to start with repentance. I need to confess to you, Lord, that I do, not, I do not seek your face as a first resort to whatever situations I'm facing. I let my anger and frustration well up at my situation, but I do not come to you in prayer. I have not completely accessed you and your power. And so, Father, I need forgiveness. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would open the heavens and you would come down now. That we would feel the warmth of your presence. But God, that you would instill in us a desire to be connected to the Father through prayer. Holy Spirit, this is your time. Use my words. Speak to us in this moment so that we will be changed forever. It's in your name. Amen. So we're going through a series called uh, Back to the Basics. And this morning, we're, we're going to be looking at prayer. And I want to focus on three main points. And the first is just going to be a question. And it's going to be a soul-searching question. But it's, it's going to be, where, where do you want God to move in your life? Where, where do you want God to come in power like you hear in the Bible, like you hear about the Fulton Street Revival and the Third Great Awakening, where do you want God to come down and rock your world? The second is going to be more practical along with the third, and that's going to be what are going to be some of the challenges that you're going to face with prayer. First, identifying where you need to pray, and then what are some of the things that you're going to be facing in praying, because a life of prayer is not easy. And then the third thing we're going to look at is what are some of the practical ways that we can just start applying prayer to our life on a daily basis? So let's start with that question. Where do you want God to move in your life? Where are you desperate for Him to come and change, to come in power For many of you, a situation, a relationship, a person, it just comes to mind immediately. But for some of us, and, and I think this is really common, is that we don't really know. We don't really know where we want God to move. 
And honestly, I think that stems from the fact that I don't think we really know exactly what we want in our lives. And so I'm going to break down three different wants, core needs, desires that we can use as kind of indicators for an area in your life that you may need prayer. So we're going to be focusing a lot of of time into these three things, and then we're going to go into the practical steps. So first, do you need God, or where do you need God to come down in power to heal and restore? Where in your life would you say, I need God to restore what's been broken? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know if your marriage is going to make it. Maybe you have past relationships that still in some form or fashion control you. Maybe you would say, I'm financially broken. Maybe you have a broken relationship with your children. You've become estranged and you're desperate for God to mend that. Maybe it's a betrayal that's left you scarred and you need healing. The writer, sorry, in Second Chronicles Chapter, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from, he- from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. In this verse, the healing that comes from heaven is followed by four actions. So I want to look at those four actions briefly, and then we'll go on to the next one. First, humble yourself. Humbling yourself is just basically saying that, God, your ways are higher than mine. That your direction and your uh, pathway for my life is greater than what I can do. The choices that I have made are not, do not align necessarily with the choices that you have for me. And so I defer to you. I humble myself to you. Your wisdom Your power is greater than mine. You see, and many of us may admit that there's the place in our life that we need healing is possibly a result of our own choices. And please hear me, that's not a universal thing. Some of you here today need healing, and it's healing because we live in a fallen and broken world. It's not a choice that you made. But, however, if you can track back, if you can trace back to where you said, God, and you may have even said this unknowingly, but your action said this, God, I know what's best. God, I need this and I need this now, so I'm going to take this. God, I'm going to be here. I'm going to choose this. I'm going to take this pathway, and you may find yourself in a situation that that, tra- that trajectory took you down a road you did not want to go, so humble yourself. Second, we need to pray. Hey, will you pull the scripture back up, David, of the, um, of the Second Chronicles? There you go. We need to pray. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we need to pray. That's basic. Yes, but you need to ask God. You need to ask God. You need to petition the Lord for your needs. Third, you need to seek his face. God has made himself accessible to you. God has made himself accessible to you by what's around you, by the Holy Scriptures, and by his Spirit in you. So if you need him, if you need wisdom, if you seek him, seek him, and you'll find him. James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will never rebuke you for asking. 
Seek his face. Look for him. And the fourth thing is turn from your wicked ways. We need to repent, which is just a Greek military term that just means turn around. But if I'm honest with myself, many times I want God's healing, but I don't want to change. I don't want to turn from my wicked ways. Maybe you want God to heal your finances, but you're unwilling to change your spending habits. Change the way you prioritize money and the way you view giving and generosity. Maybe you want God to heal your marriage, but you are unwilling to give him access and obedience to the commands that he gives for a godly husband and a godly wife. Maybe you want healing in a relationship, but you are unwilling to forgive even when we're commanded to forgive because Christ has forgiven us of so much. So where do you need healing? Ask. Humble yourself. Seek his face. Seek his wisdom and repent. The second place that we see, and this is more of a smoke, this is more of a smoke to a fire kind of indicator, is where do you you find yourself becoming the most frustrated or angry in your life. James 4, 1 through 3. Now, James is the brother of Jesus. So um, it's interesting, the story of James. He actually didn't follow Jesus in his ministry, but he followed Jesus after he died because he realized that his brother was the Son of God, and he declared lordship to Jesus. So James is an interesting book. But it starts in in verse 1. It says, What causes the quarrels and the fights among you? Meaning, what's really behind the frustration? What's really going on in the situations where you find yourself angry? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Meaning your desires are raging unchecked. You have unmet desires and you have unmet expectations and it is is driving you to frustration and anger. Verse 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And as soon as I read that, immediately the tendency is just to check out. You know, because you're like, yeah, okay, this doesn't apply to me. This is about somebody that murders people. But James is speaking to a group, an audience, so he's speaking in hyperbole. So what he's talking about is a posture of the heart, that your anger wells up inside you, that you want the other person to feel pain, to experience loss. You covet. Another kind of old word we don't really use a lot, but that's basically meaning that you're jealous. You want what they have. Another form of covetism is that you want them to experience loss, and it brings you joy. You can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. So he's getting to the desire here, but he's saying you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. That's not a typo. It's just a weird translation, and I'll get to that in a minute, to spend it on your passions. Maybe you're here this morning and you are frustrated with your marriage. You're frustrated with your spouse. Please, no elbowing. We don't need any of that. But just so you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. I may have, may have saved somebody this morning. It's on Tuesday, fellas. <clears throat> Go ahead. No excuse. All right, um, maybe you're here this morning and you're just fed up with work. You are frustrated with your work situation. You are angry at the treatment that you receive. Maybe you're here and honestly your family's in turmoil. 
you are fighting, throwing McDonald's hash browns at each other all the way up to church, and then as soon as the church doors open, you put on that, everything's fine, brother, sister. Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. Praise God. Oh, yes. And you have this thing that you front, that you put on, but you know that there's something inside you. There's something inside you that is not right. There's something inside you, warring inside you, and you're angry, and you do not know where to place it. James says that we war against each other, and you're fighting because you do not get what you want. You want a respectful wife. You want a loving husband. You want recognition at work. And so you fight and you claw, but you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask wrongly. Another way of translating that is just ask badly. So the best way that I could kind of figure out how to wrap my mind around describing what it means to ask badly is that Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says that all things were created by God and for God and he holds everything together. Meaning that, that God has created us. He's created all existence with this, uh, with this universal design that he needs to be in the center. So maybe this morning you don't have a marriage problem. Maybe you have a worship problem. Maybe you're looking for ultimate happiness and fulfillment and identity and it's rooted in your spouse and that's misplaced. See, I don't want Lainey. I don't want Lainey to find her ultimate joy and fulfillment in me because I fail her constantly and I know that comes as a huge surprise to you all, but it is true. It's so true. But if you're looking for your spouse to fill the hole in your heart that is meant for God, you will crush your spouse and they will resent you. You do not ask because you, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you're looking for it in someone other than God. What about work? Are you frustrated that you're not getting the recognition you deserve? Are you fighting and clawing uh, all the way to the top, hoping that you'll finally get to that point of significance? Can I ask you a question? Why would God, as a loving father, allow you to receive something that you put your ultimate hope faith and identity in when it can be here one day and gone the next. That's not what a good father would do. And so it's misplaced. You're looking for your satisfaction. You're looking for your identity. You're looking for your significance in work. And so you're angry and you fight and you're frustrated. What about your family? Parents, are you crushing your children under the weight of trying to find significance in them, in their academics, in their sports? Singles, teens, are you guys hoping to find significance if only God can give me a relationship? If only I could find the significance, if I could finally get that one person, then I'll finally be happy. What about social recognition? If I can only get this many Twitter followers, Facebook likes, Instagram likes, then I'll finally be someone. But that's wrong. That's wrong. I want you to know that before God created the earth, he saw you, and he loved you, and he wanted you to be a part of his family. And that's greater than anything that you could ever receive here. You do not have because you do not ask. Third place. Where do you find worry, anxiety, and fear in your life? Just like frustration and anger, worry, fear, anxiety is another smoke to a fire. Philippians 4, 6. 
uh, through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which just means asking or begging earnestly, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Worry, fear, anxiety, it's rooted in control and trust. Worry begins with, I'm not sure if I can trust God with this situation, with this job, with this relationship, with the health and safety of my family. And so we assume responsibility for an outcome that we can't control. Uh, when my son was born, I, I'm a really laid back dude, but when my son was born, I, I just, I became this huge worrier. And uh, I don't, I think it was, there's a fear inside of me that was so worried that he was just going to be taken from me in some form or fashion, that I couldn't extend my love enough. I'd, I don't know where it was rooted in, but Judah started sleeping on his stomach when he was like two months old, and I was terrified. I mean, we have a little visual monitor, I'm sitting here just kind of watching it, like waking up at like four in the morning, all right, good, he's, his, his back's moving, okay, good, you know, and just terrified, worried. But I came to the realization that My worry is rooted in the fact that I don't trust God. And I'm trying to control something that I can't control. I cannot give my son breath in his lungs. I am not the one that makes his heart beat. I am not the one that can watch over him 100% of the time, constantly see every outcome of every possible situation. I don't have control and so instead of worrying, we need to pray like Paul tells us to do. Pray and submit our requests to the Lord. But what's Paul telling us to pray with? Put the scripture back up again, David. Uh, he's telling us here to pray with thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving is just looking back at your life and thanking God for all he's done. This reassures us of the two things that we worry about. It reassures us that he is in control. And it also reassures us that he can be trusted. Think about the disciples that are asleep in the boat. They're just witnessing amazing miracles from Jesus. And then a storm comes up and they're crying out and they fear for their life. And they say, Jesus, don't you even care? Don't you care about the situation that I'm in? Don't you care about the storm is going to take our lives? But Jesus wakes up and he rebukes the storm. He says, be still. Thanksgiving reminds us who's in control of the storms. Thanksgiving reminds us that the storms in our life know who their Lord is, and that is Jesus Christ. So when you pray, give thanks to all that he's done. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're fearing, whatever you have anxiety about, just give it to God with thanks for all he's done for you, and then, and then, the peace of God, the peace of God, What we really want, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I wanted to give you those three areas so that you could maybe even identify what are some of the core needs, desires that I need to be praying about in my life. Where do you need healing? Where do you have unmet expectations and desires that you may be placing somewhere or on someone, where is worry and fear and anxiety in your life? Ask 
God. Ask God. In Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So the last two points we're going to go through, sorry, I knew that one was kind of long, but the last two points are more practical. What are going to be some of the challenges that you are going to face as stepping into a life of prayer? We're going to look at three different areas, and we'll go by it pretty quick. But Luke 11, it's, uh, it's amazing that disciples even recognize that the power of prayer was a part of Jesus. And his disciples, they could have asked him for anything. They could have asked Jesus to teach them how to do anything. And they said this in Luke 11.1, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, prayer was woven into the fabric of Jesus' life. He depended on his time with the Father. He would leave the crowds and he would leave their needs to retreat, to pray. So a life of prayer is not something that just comes naturally. It takes time to build a relationship with the Father, just like it takes time to build a relationship with the spouse or a best friend. So the first place that we experience maybe hesitation when it comes to pray is is the thought that you don't know the right words to say. Matthew 6, 7 through 8, and Phil read this earlier. It says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask. God is not someone that you need to pray in the King James. God is not somebody that you need to say his name a hundred times for him to unlock the password, to pour his blessings out. God, he loves you. He knows you. He knows what you need even before you ask. So if you mess up, that's okay. If you say the wrong words, that's okay. If you fall asleep when you pray, Repent, but that's okay. It's, it's not like, it's a relationship. That's what prayer is. It's a relationship. If I have to be on point 100% and say every right thing to my wife, I will go insane. And I don't come close to it, so it's not even, yeah, it's not even worth the, the effort to try to be perfect here because we're not perfect. So don't worry about the right words to say. Just start the conversation. The second thing I want us to look at is, what if I ask for the wrong thing? Uh, hmm, this would be fun. Matthew chapter 7, uh, this is Jesus continuing on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verses 7 through 11 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, receives. And anyone who seeks, finds. And to the ones who knocks, it will be opened to you. So we've heard that before, but then Jesus kind of talks, goes a little bit further, and he says, so which one of you, looking to the audience, if his son asked him for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. And can I say for a second that I'm really thankful that God knows what I need? Because so often what we ultimately want does not coincide with what we immediately want. What we 
ultimately want doesn't always coincide with what we immediately want. So I'm really thankful for unanswered prayers. I wouldn't be here this morning if I didn't have unanswered prayers. Many of, us, you can, many of you can relate. You asked God for the thing that you needed right now. Lord, please give me this. And then you start bargaining. You say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to you. I'm going to give my money to you. If I can get this car, if I can get this relationship, I will serve you forever. I'll be a missionary in Africa. I'm going to hang out with Doug all day long in South Africa. There you go. And so... You bargain and you want, but God, he knows what you need. So we need to trust God. We need to trust not only his answer to our prayer, whether it's a yes, a no, or a maybe, or a wait, and we need to trust the timing of his answer. So the third thing we want that is going to challenge that we are going to face with prayer is that we have an enemy that wants Nothing more than for us to never pray. Samuel Chadwick, who was a preacher in the 1800s, he said that Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God, draw near to God, Submit yourselves in prayer to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. I've been going through a lot of examples, but husbands and wives, it's time to, to point your frustration to the real enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy your marriage and, and go on the offensive through prayer. Satan wants, parents, Satan wants nothing more than a prayerless family at work Satan wants you to go to your job and just take God out of the picture. At school, Satan wants you to get distracted from what really matters. So when you pray, don't worry about the right words or worry about saying the wrong thing. No, trust that God knows what's best and know that you have an enemy that wants you to not pray. The last thing we're going to look at and this is just going to be more of the practical applications. How can we practically apply prayer to our lives? Three quick questions. When? When do we do this? Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 and 17, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. So when I read those verses immediately, I think, well, that's impossible. I can't do that. It seems so overwhelming. How do you pray without ceasing? How do you pray in all times in the Spirit? But what I want us to do maybe is to start applying prayer whenever we experience a new situation. Whenever you wake up, you ask God for wisdom and strength for the day. Whenever you go to work, you ask God for wisdom and direction on how to handle your office and what he wants you to do there for his kingdom. When you pick up your kids from school, ask God for guidance on how to raise your children. Whatever arises, whatever encounters, talk to God. Ask Him what you need and then carry on. It doesn't have to be a really long, drawn-out prayer. And, and please hear me, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious at all, but maybe you sometimes just need to ask God a quick question. It's just like sending God a text message. You're opening the conversation to God about the situation 
But then there's sometimes when you need to have a call and when you need to have a personal conversation and when you need to go back and forth with the Lord. Whatever it is, whatever the type of communication or the mode of communication that you do when you pray, how the length of the prayer, just open the conversation. Don't save it for meals and emergencies. All right, how to pray. Um, we got this, uh, we have this kind of acrostic. It's P-R-A-Y. And first it starts on this comes from Matthew chapter 6, what Phil was also talking about, the Lord's Prayer. And you break down prayer, and it's also in your little um, handouts. Uh, pre praise, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. This just gives us the right perspective. This gives us the right perspective on who God is, that he's in control of our situation, that he can be trusted. R is repent. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. This is realigning yourself back to God. This is realigning your situation back to God, knowing that I need help in this situation. A, ask. Self-explanatory. Ask what you need. Set your mind right with the right perspective of praise. Repent. Get right with God. And then ask. Ask Him. And the last thing is yield. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I said this earlier, but just trust him. Trust him with whatever the answer is. He's seen the beginning from the end. He's a pretty reliable source when it comes to your life. Trust him. Trust the answer that, and trust the timing of the answer. The last thing I want to talk about is with whom. See, many times you're going to be praying, and you're going to be praying alone, but we at, at Elevation, we, we desire and crave corporate prayer. You see, we want what happened 160 years ago to happen now and happen even greater. We want to see God come down in power. We want to see our community around us healed. We want to see revival in our homes, in our city, in our nation, in our world. And so we're coming together here the first Wednesday of every month to pray. And I want to invite you all to be here, to pray as a corporate body. Pray for our needs. Pray for the things that we have going on in our lives. And watch and see God do amazing things. So if the band would come up, I'm going to kind of go back to the original question. Where, where do you want God to move in your life? You see, God has given us this amazing, amazing gift of prayer, and it's so powerful. So we're without excuse. We're without excuse when our families fall apart and when our community cries out for help and our nation turns away from God. We need to become a people of prayer. Your family, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, they need you to become a people of prayer. Your school needs you to become people of prayer. Your workplace, it needs God's power. It needs you to become a people of prayer. So start the conversation. Ask God, and he will give you more than you could even abundantly think or even comprehend. Let's pray. Actually, before I pray, I just I want to also say this. We want to open up the stairs 
there's nothing really amazing about these stairs. They're just stairs, but we want to open them up. If you need prayer right now, we want to be there to pray for you. Phil will be down here. I will be down here. The elders, leaders will be down here and available if you need prayer. If you want to at this moment, you feel like you need to gather your family and you need to pray during worship, please pray. God, (laughs) we are desperate for you. Father, if we are content to live without you and live without a life of prayer, we will. And it is a sad reality. So, Father, I pray in this moment right now, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and you would come down in power and that you would change us. God, that we would begin to fall on our knees on a daily basis and say, Lord, we need you. Lord, I need you. I'm not the man I'm supposed to be. I need you. Father, I pray that you would hear our cry and you would come. We need your presence. We crave your presence. And Father, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our families, with our work, with our situation, with our time and our money. We trust you. Because you're a good father. You know what's best for us. So help us in our unbelief. Help us in the places where we struggle with faith. Help us. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.